Hello, welcome. You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a bite-sized parenting podcast, a place you can find advice, understanding and support as you care for your small humans. I'm Siobhan Hunt. I'm a big fan of podcasts like Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls and Fierce Girls. My kids love them and I love the inspiring stories about what girls are capable of. And while my son loves them too, I do wonder what is there for him. Raising more than one child, you're always trying to give them equal amounts of love, attention and inspiration. But what do you do when the constructs of gender are changing, when the path forward is clearer now for girls than it is for boys? Rob Starrick is the father of two who wrestles with this question in his book, Man Raises Boy. Hi, Rob. How are you? Good, Siobhan. How are you? Good, thank you. So books on parenting are many and varied. I perhaps know that better than most. Better than most, yeah. <laughs> but you have found a real vacuum when it came to literature for dads. Why do you think that vacuum exists? Oh, it's a great question. Look, I think it probably starts with the, the dilemma we have with our community that dads are still predominantly the male breadwinner, they're working long hours, and there's this rusted-on cultural attitude that mums are really the primary carers and they're better at it. So what I've found in my sort of four years or so I've been a parent now is a lot of the blogs and the literature and the research is all geared towards mums. And so when I was out there looking for answers as a dad, as a dad that was trying to be very hands-on, very involved, looking at how I could reshape my life for my kids, there just wasn't a lot speaking to fathers. So I started writing short pieces just talking about my experiences of fatherhood and then I've expanded on it in the book. So I really think it's important um, amidst the whole range of parenting discussions we're having that we just get more dad's voices. And certainly my book is just one voice and I'm trying to encourage other dads through the book to speak up, to share their experiences because the experience of being a dad is so varied. There are so many different types of dads, stepdads, adopted dads, you know, divorced dads, dads that are married. There's, a, there's such a big range. It would be wonderful to capture those experiences, the challenges and the joys, and sort of broaden our conversation around parenting. When you were saying that, the first thing that came into my mind in terms of the literature, mum versus dads, is that there is a huge conversation about workplace flexibility. And I have seen lots of forums and and lots of organisations trying to help women find flexible working arrangements. The assumption being that the woman, again, is going to be the main carer. What was your experience like? Because I know you stayed at home with the kids. What was your experience like negotiating with your work for that kind of flexibility? Mine was, on the whole, to begin with, pretty good. Like, I um, had discussions with my wife up front before our first kid and then our second kid, our little boy as well. We were pretty clear at home that we both wanted extended leave. And so I started discussions with uh, both my sets of work. So I took extended leave through different employers um, quite early. So I found um, quite a lot of support, uh, quite a lot of encouragement. There was probably some bemusement mostly with family and friends and some colleagues like, oh, so you're going to do that, right? Isn't that going to be bad for your career? Like, can your boss really uh, deal with that? What are you going to do all that time off work? Um, but really, the, the, the places I worked were pretty supportive. Where it got hard and where it got really stressful, particularly with um, my, my daughter the first time around, is that neither myself or my employer at the time had really thought through all the ramifications of taking leave, of coming back part-time, of wanting more flexible arrangements. We'd agreed to it in principle, and that was great. But when you know the rubber hit the road, 
neither of us was really prepared. So when I needed to leave early to do pickup, or I was sick because I'd picked up the daycare bug, or my daughter was sick and I needed to take a day off work when I was already working four days a week, those realities really made those weeks much harder. And I think there was a frustration on both our ends of like, oh, we really haven't thought this through. There's a lot more to unpack. Um, And that led to me personally, a lot of stress and anxiety because at first I thought I was doing the juggle pretty well, that I was balancing work responsibilities and home life. But it got acute at one stage where there was just a lot of work, there was a lot of hours, and I just felt like I was doing both poorly, which I think a lot of parents can probably relate to, that sense that you're failing on both fronts. That was a real eye-opener for me, um, and I think it's one of those lessons that I hope you know is explained in the book is that it's a great thing to take parental leave. I would do it all again if I could. I think it's wonderful, precious time. But go in eyes open, really plan it out, communicate at home, and with your employer, what your expectations are, what theirs are, and really try and have a plan in place so that when your bub does come along, there is some sort of roadmap with how you're going to handle the next little part of your career and your family life, and you're not trying to sort of make it up as you go. And I think it makes an already challenging, tiring, stressful period a little less challenging, tired, and and, and stressful uh, if you just think ahead. And hopefully that's one of the lessons I've imparted in the book. Your um, work being understanding is great and we hear a lot about how men aren't taking the parental leave they're actually owed, even without negotiation, it's just there, they're just not taking it. And it seems to me that one of the huge influences on whether men take parental leave is how they're perceived by their peers, um, especially their friends. When my husband ended up being at home with both of our kids a lot when they were small, And his friends kind of, they just took the mickey out of him for it. They made fun about him being the mom on Mother's Day and those kinds of things. And I found it really strange because my kids are only eight and six now, so that wasn't too long ago. How did your friends respond to you taking parental leave? Yeah, it's really interesting. I got a little bit of that too, the sort of, oh, daddy daycare, Mr. Mom, um, that sort of stuff. There was a lot of support amongst my friends. They were like, good for you. That's great. No one in my friendship circle, and we all have kids of similar ages. We're in that sort of stage of life. No one seemed to think about doing it themselves. There wasn't a, a huge interest in sort of my experiences or how did you find it? You know, would you do it again? I felt for a lot of my friends, as supportive as they were, it was kind of like, that's great. Well, I'm going back to my own life, my own sort of routine. So I kind of hoped that by talking about it and by doing it, it might encourage some of my, my mates to do it as well. One or two did, a great deal didn't. And look, look, there are certainly different circumstances at play sometimes because of the family budget. They just couldn't. I was a little bit curious at how little it moved attitudes. And I think that's picked up in the book too. And I think it's uh, an example of the broader frustration we've got too is if you look at gender equality surveys or parental leave surveys men agree that they should be doing the caring equally or sharing it more they agree they should be trying to work more flexibly um, and that gender equality is a really important thing but when you look at the actual stats of time taken off work hours worked after a baby's born flexible leave arrangements we've seen so little movement in say 10 years Uh, so i really feel there's a gap between what we say and what we do and i do think if we can change some of those attitudes amongst friends and family and colleagues i think it'll just open up men to feel more comfortable doing it you know i have my kids every wednesday uh, we often just take a quick trip to the mall because there's lots of great play centers and it's really easy to let my two kids run around and have fun i think 
every time we go, there's at least one, again, very well-meaning comment about, oh, it's a special day with dad, is it? As if I've sort of taken some day off work because I've been working really long hours and it's sort of a make-up time. And I'm like, well, no, I do this every single <laughs> week yes. and the other 364 days of the year as well. So I really think, yeah, getting those cultural attitudes to loosen up for fathers will be so important because I do think they think a lot about their reputation, their identity as a man. And I think for a lot of men, their identity is wrapped up with work. Yeah, I was curious about that because when I think about my own time off with the kids and it was um, it was a very nurturing time. I had a great mother's group. We did lots of stuff together and it was um, a period where you can feel lonely, but I had people I could connect with. And when I look at my husband who didn't have the same network of friends that were taking work off or who were even interested in talking about kids... It seems like there was just no support for him in that way. And it strikes me as they've almost been defined as feminine and masculine arenas mm-hmm. and that parenthood is a feminine arena. Uh, and it seems that women have made inroads into work, but men have not made as strong inroads to parenthood. Yeah, absolutely. Is, that, is part of that about the way men perceive masculinity and that idea? Because women taking on a masculine area, it's kind of seen as strong and yeah. go get them, girl. But yeah. when a man is to embrace something that's seen as feminine, it's like, oh, are you a real man or what's going on? Absolutely. I think it confounds a lot of people too. Look, there's a, a short anecdote I tell in the book that when I was talking to some of my extended family about my desire to do more caring, someone made a remark sort of off the cuff saying that if they ever met a stay-at-home dad, they always assume he was just because he was a failure in his career. So, wow. yeah, I think they're... Ouch. Yeah, absolutely. And so and that was really at the back of my mind. And when you're going through it as a first-time dad and you are kind of bucking the system and doing things a bit differently, there is kind of a creeping doubt, like, am I kind of abrogating my duties here? Like, should I be back in the workforce? All the other dads are like, am I getting something wrong or am I a bit abnormal? Um, And I think there really is this notion that to care for a child is somehow effeminate. But, you know, I think to care and nurture and love a kid, whether they're a newborn or a toddler or a teenager, is one of the most manly things you can do to raise a kid to be happy, confident, know that they're loved unreservedly and can take on the world and be resilient. I mean, what could be more manly than, than that? And I would love to see that um, in our conversations we talk about fatherhood and what it takes to be a man, that caring is really at the heart of it. Uh, and look, a lot of young men, and a lot of the surveys show this, so a lot of young men really do want to care for the kids and they don't sort of have that binary sense of uh, caring for kids is, is woman's work. So hopefully there's sort of a change of attitudes and values on the horizon. The challenge will be, will our systems, will our workplaces, will our government parental leave schemes, will they encourage that change or will they kind of block it? And that's another big question, I think, as well. One of the things you talk about at the beginning of your book is the historical context of fatherhood. And you say that in the last hundred years, fatherhood has taken a beating. I don't expect you to tell us the whole chapter, but can you explain a little bit of the historical context of where you think we are today? Yeah, absolutely. Look, and I found this when I was a dad for the first time really enlightening because I'd read it in sort of shorter extracts in different books. But essentially when you look at you know, what we consider now those sort of traditional masculine values and norms, and when we talk about the real man, you know, emotionally stoic, physically strong, controlling, doesn't show fear or vulnerability, can kind of take care of the pack, 
when you look at what's happened in, in the last hundred years of history, you know, two world wars where we sent men off to fight, to die, to be, to be wounded and see mates die. Then it just come back with no mental health support, all this built-in trauma and PTSD to just get back to normal life. Then you've got the First World War followed very quickly by the Great Depression, where you have one in three men being unemployed. And again, if we're talking about this culture of the male breadwinner and that the best way a dad can take care of his kids is to work, well, if a third of the workforce is starving, can't find jobs anywhere, moving their kids from town to town looking for work, what could be more emasculating in that society than that? So on the heels of the Depression, you then have a Second World War where it really was close to home for Australia. And again, men go off to fight, including my grandfather who went and fought in North Africa. They come back. They basically leave the uniforms at the depots. They have a health check and back to normal life. Go back to the suburbs, start a business, start a new career, raise a family and get on with it. And that was that classic message of just get on with it, war's done, move on with your lives. And a lot of these men, there was so much baggage that they just didn't have a chance to unpack. They didn't know how to talk about it. They didn't know how to communicate it. And that really was the case with my my dad's dad, fought North Africa, came back, was a very successful businessman, never, ever talked about the war to his family or ever again. And they just found his uniforms when he passed in a box in the attic. And then you have this laden history around fatherhood where it is about serving, being away, dealing with trauma, fighting wars. Uh, How could we expect men to come back and be loving, tending, nurturing, caring men when that's sort of been the big experience of of Australia over the 20th century? And it's a point that Steve Bidoff makes very well in in his writing too, the sense that fatherhood really did take a beating. And um, what we're trying to do now is kind of open it up again but we've got to be somewhat cognizant of just that historical background and sympathetic to it instead of understanding the men that came before us well i mean this is of course a personal story for you as well what was it like becoming a dad for the first time it was joyous it was i i think often about when my daughter in particular was born which was my my first child it was when I saw it for the first time, it was like cathedral bells going off inside my head. It was, and it really was love at first sight. It was powerful. And as I say in the book, I think it really brought to the fore some of my better qualities as a person. I think fatherhood's made me a better man and a, and a better individual. I think a bit more selfless and aware and empathetic. And um, it's been a privilege and I've loved every day of it. It's been obviously all the, the usual challenges. It's been exhausting, stressful. Certainly doing the juggle with career and family is really hard. And my wife and I try and split that very evenly because we both have careers that we respect for one another. But I think it's really given a new meaning and purpose to, to my life. And it probably sounds a bit cliched, but to love these two kids, you know, it is like your heart walking around outside your body. And I found particularly it's affected my view of the world too. I'm sort of much more sentimental to them and, you know, with the things that we've experienced over the summer and the like, you sort of, we worry on a, on, a, on a grand scale for them as well at the world that they're inheriting. But it's sort of, it, you know, it, it's really shaped my my thinking more than I probably thought it would. Like I knew it would be all-consuming, it would turn life upside down, but I think it really shaped my approach to life and what I've tried to sort of capture in this book and, you know, even as, as hard as it is now with, you know, a toddler that's sort of got so much energy and exuberance <laughs> and cheekiness and a little sort of boy who's just on the verge of toddlerhood who's very clingy and loving and sensitive but always wants to be in your hands even when you're sort of making dinner and um, trying to do some work. 
trying to appreciate the hard moments as well. And um, that's something I'm personally working on right now is even when it's hard and you're stressed or you're overwhelmed to try and find the joy and the happiness and the hardship because, you know, I know there'll come a time when my kids will be off running their own lives and I'll be the daggy dad they want to see every so often. So even when it's sort of frustrating, you just wish you had a break. I'm just trying to appreciate it more as I can and be present, which is so hard when everyone's trying to multitask so much. Yeah. I mean, the title of your book is uh, Man Raises Boy, and effectively you say this is a love letter to your son. And I I sort of alluded to this at the start of this interview that – you know, there are some really great podcasts for girls. There's a lot of discussion around how we can empower our girls. And that's so exciting. As a woman and as a mother of a girl, I find that really exciting. But uh, like you, my youngest is a boy. And a a little bit like you, I think I feel my son's the sensitive one. He's the quiet one who's just getting on with things. That might be second child as well. He has no choice. But when we were downloading these podcasts and I was looking for this stuff for my daughter, I'm like, well, okay, there's got to be something here for him because we have said to girls, particularly post me to here is the path for you and we are going to try and make this the best possible future for you. And in doing that, we are changing our um, expectation of men. Um, We are not happy with the traditional view of masculinity and a lot of people have tried to change that and I do feel for men who are caught up in that but as a mum I feel more for my son because I think well your brain's not going to be properly developed till you're 26 so how do we help our boys at this stage of their life grow into this new idea of masculinity when I'm not sure anyone really knows what that is yeah look it's a great point and it's you know my son will be right there alongside yours you know when I was a kid in the 80s and early 90s the rules were pretty clear and what was expected of me was pretty clear and you know it was that era when it was seize the day you know young men go out there and and, and take charge and it really is it's uncertain the rules are being rewritten a bit and the ground shifting so it's this funny time where I think dads are trying to work it out for themselves um sort of what I talk about in the book as well and we're trying to pass on to our sons but in a way it's going to be worked out together you know I spent a long time talking to my wife in particular trying to get my head around what me too means as a man and my first few takes of trying to explain to her were were shocking and she she would pull me up and go no that's not the lesson at all from this like (laughs) stop thinking about it from you and think about it from the female perspective so I think for for men it is really the, the starting point is you know it's incumbent on us to share our space in the world much more evenly and equally than we have been told to previously. Um, and that starts with young boys, how they play in a classroom, or how they share toys, all the way up to when they're young men on the cusp of adulthood. And I think for for men, it is really trying to unpack what do we think is healthy masculinity now? What does it take to be a man? Right? It's respect for others. It's empathy and compassion. It's feeling confident to be vulnerable, to be insecure, to say you don't have the answers or you're scared or you're sad, to know that there are many ways to have a relationship with women and to not always think about it in these very reductive um, lenses where we've, which we have used in the past. We talk about, you know, I'm going to try and date a woman or she's a colleague or that's kind of it, you know, men can't be friends with women, all that sort of, those old tropes to sort of show our young boys there are so many amazing benefits from just having 
healthy friendships, relationships, long-term with women. I don't think that's something that we've even really explained to boys. It certainly wasn't explained to me when I was a kid. So there's so much that we still need to unpack. I think if we can start with our young boys and we can give them a healthy sense of confidence to be who they want to be, not who they think a man really is, um, you know, breaking this sense that there's a real man sort of standard that we should be making, making sure that they feel they have a place in the world, but that they respect those around them, um, that they, they can see that there is a broader picture in which they're just a part of. And then also when they come into those awkward, insecure teenage years, when there's a lot of peer pressure, there's a lot of identity crisis for them, and there's a lot of vulnerability, that there's a father or a father figure there, a role model, who can calmly counsel them, talk to them, listen. I think listening is so underrated. Listen to their problems and just guide them, to nudge them towards what healthy manhood looks like. You know, I look back at my own youth. I had a wonderfully stable and loving family. I went to a very privileged, fancy school. You know, I had a great university, but I never really thought, you know, I'd become a man at any of those points. When I left school or was at university, I was always thinking, am, am I a man? I feel like a little boy, kind of wandering around in an adult's world. That's not healthy. And particularly in a, at a post-Me Too era, it's not right to leave boys with some confused, vague sense of what masculinity is about. Because then the risk is they get the wrong signals and the wrong messages, um, particularly when the internet's going as ferociously as it is um, with the messages it's putting out there. So that sense of role modelling and guidance, I think, is so important as well. Yeah, the role modelling part is particularly interesting given your experience in just trying to be a stay-at-home dad and trying to change the message there because it makes me think about all the dads out there that aren't uh, being self-reflective about that that aren't struggling with their sense of masculinity where do boys go for that guidance if their father is stuck in those old tropes yeah look and it's it's a really important point and I hopefully you know if we if we expand this masculinity discussion, we will see dads in a healthy way just starting to think about their choices more deliberately. But, you know, if, if, if dads are sort of stuck in maybe an old version of masculinity that's hopefully becomes a bit of a relic, you know, there are uncles, there are family friends. And I know it's a point that some researchers make quite strongly that it's not just about dad, particularly in the teenage years, it is about healthy role models. So it had been incumbent on, on mums and dads to sort of find those out for their, for their kids, whether it's coaches, school teachers, expanded family. There are lots of ways you can find that sort of healthy fatherhood influence in in a boy's life Um, and hopefully if you're if you're sort of doing the job well and you've got really good authentic communications um, with your kids your little boy might be able to or your young boy might be able to come up and say need a bit of help I feel a bit stuck I'm a bit confused what's this manhood thing all about Um, which would be wonderful and then you can sort of help them find the role model that might suit them because I said my little boy look he's only still a really tiny tot but he seems a very happy but sensitive and sweet little soul so hopefully I would love it for him to feel confident enough to just be vulnerable and to say that, like, I'm not sure who I am, Dad, or what I should do. Like, help me find it out. And I think it's a big point I make in the book is men need me to be honest with the kids and say, look, I might not have the answers either. Like, I'm I'm not all-knowing all and all-powerful, but let's find out together. And to show the young boys it's okay not to have the answers. It's okay to be a bit concerned what the right action is, but you can kind of work it out together. And I think there's a double lesson in that as well for our boys you find out the answer and you find it's okay to search and to explore and sort of find your way forward sort of in a a gentle fashion 
Yeah, well, I have much more hope about our boys after speaking with you, Rob. So thank you so much for coming in. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, Siobhan. That's Rob Starrick. He's the author of Man Raises Boy. And links to where you can get the book are in the notes of this episode. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you. So if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.